Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church Sunday School. We are here <clears throat> under the auspices of our Bishop William L. Shears to study God's Word. We have been spending some time hanging out with the prophet Isaiah for the last month. This is our last Sunday in Isaiah. Next week, we're going to shift to the book of John, the Gospel of John. And by the time we finish that uh, four weeks of study, you will be able to get your theologic, theo, theologian degree because John is deeply, deeply into theology, who God is in the essence of God. But today, <clears throat> the bridge to that is from the great prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah uh, is really in our lesson today, which is Isaiah chapter 51, uh, verses 1 through 8. But as you know, we have to move around a little bit just because of what God is trying to say. I want you to, to think a moment about what the subject is, and it's God offers deliverance. God, what offers deliverance? But what Isaiah has been saying to us the entire month of June is that we have a reason to have hope. We have a reason to look to God to deliver us no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, no matter who's involved, no matter who's oppressing us, we have reason to hope. <clears throat> that shouts me because we are living in perilous times and, and you need to have hope. So Isaiah um, is writing here to encourage the folks who will be the remnant after the exile. <clears throat> That's very important because God sees what in from the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's not bound by time, space, or this time-space continuum. God is always in the, in the now. So let's go to Isaiah 51, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> let's pray, and let's see what God has uh, had this text tailored to teach us. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, help us to pray. Everlasting Father, we love you, we praise you, we adore you, we lift you up. You're our God, to you, we lift up our soul. Oh, God, thank you for being so gracious unto us. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us the ability to use our limbs. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us our hearing, our speech, our sight. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us to be named among your children. Thank you for having us, allowing us to be in the body of Christ, having adopted us as sons and daughters. For this we say thank you. Thank you that no other status matters to us, but that we're saved. Thank you that no other thing matters to us, but that we're saved. Thank you that no other achievement is all that important to us, except that we're saved. Saved from the wrath of God, which is to come. Going back with Jesus when he returns for the second time. We thank you, Father God, for your grace and your mercy that you've poured out on us who did not deserve it. Oh God, on our best day, we come out up short. On our most excellent day, we come up short. When we do everything right that we're supposed to do, we come up short. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We thank you, God, that you still accept us and love us despite the mars in this old clay. Oh, God, we love you that we have this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is a vessel that is subject to be cracked, a vessel, vessel that is subject to be marred, a vessel that is subject to decay. But we have this treasure that the excellency of the power of God might be of Jesus Christ and not of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us, God, in our health. 
Oh God, we thank you that our health is as well with us as it is. Because we know, God, that could be things that are a lot worse. Father God, we thank you for our families. God, both here and scattered abroad. We thank you for those who love you and those who, do, who, who have not figured out a way to get back to you. We're praying for them constantly. We are like the prodigal son, ever sitting on the front porch, looking and expecting their return. Father God, we thank you right now for blessing us financially. Oh, we know the world is in a turmoil. We know the world economy is in a mess. But you've always sustained us. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We rely on your word that says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor a seed beg bread. Now, Father, we pray that you bless this assembly that we call Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church. Bless our leader, Bishop Shields, as he stands to preach and teach your word later today. Let it be rainbow unto us, even as it is unto him. Now, God, bless this Sunday school, this Sunday school class, and this word is already blessed. Bless us to be able to hear it, understand it, to use it for your glory. We love you today. We praise you today, and we lift you up. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go over and deal with um, this great prophet, Isaiah. Now, Isaiah <clears throat> is called a major prophet, as some of the others are. Uh, that's mostly because of the volume of the work, the size of the work. But just so you know, and just so you're clear, there are no majors and minors in God. Amen. Everybody is a child. The 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 ground at the foot of the cross is level. There are no big eyes and little U's before God. We call them major and minor because uh, the length of the book that's written. But that's the only reason, because you won't find that in the, in the word. But Isaiah has a unique call in that he's called to encourage people before they need encouragement. He's called to what? Encourage people before they need encouragement. Uh, I like that because I don't really need you to show up when I'm in trouble. I need you to have been around on the way to trouble. Because anybody can show up when you're in trouble because you just want to gossip anyway. Uh, you just want to get the details so you can call up folk and tell them, child, you're going to believe what the other way I've been doing. That, that's that's what you, what's really about. Uh, but I need you to show up when things are going well uh, and let me know you're praying for me before I say pray for me. I shouldn't have to ask you, if you're my brother and my sister, Amen. pray for me. You ought to know to do that. Why? Because you want what's well for me. And I ought not have to be in crisis before you come to see about me. You ought to check on me every now and then. I learned a lot about uh, these, these, these uh, people who, who, uh, who named themselves my friend <clears throat> during the pandemic. When you, you weren't seeing them at church, you weren't seeing them at work, you weren't seeing them at the social events, and, and the phone wasn't ringing, and the text wasn't going off, and it was amazing um, who didn't check on folk. And I made it my business to check on people that I cared about. I made it my business because people need to know that they can count on you when they need to count on you. Isaiah encourages these people because God knows, or God knew, excuse me, uh, that these folks were going to go through a period of time when they were going to be under a lot of uh, stress and pressure. And he knew, God did, that at that time they were going to need something to hang on to. And the thing that he wanted them to hang on to was not a gimmick. <clears throat> it was not where you have um, uh, 
you know, Johnny Cockerooed in your, in your pocket or a, a, a rabbit's foot. None of that. God wanted them when it, when it was time of, when the, in the time of trouble, God wanted them to be able to hold onto a promise. And that singular promise was that God will get you through this. Amen. That what? God is going to get you through this. And, and don't forget this, God's going to restore everything that you lost. Amen. Now we know even from the example of the book of Job, that God has that ability even on, on seemingly unusual things, God even replaced Job's children, which is amazing. <clears throat> so as they were facing this situation, this, 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 this captivity they were going to be in, God then placed in the prophet Isaiah a prophetic word before they needed it. Listen, people of God, it's so easy to have a complete Fall out fit in church. Fall on the altar. Fall in the aisle. Roll, spin over when you're going through something. Your worship is a little different when you got pressure coming down on you. Amen. Your worship is a little different when you don't know which way to turn. But what God is trying to call us to is true worship. Amen. That's not dependent on circumstances. Amen. True worship. That's not dependent upon the size of your bank account, whether the, the, the market is up or the market is down, whether you're feeling good or feeling bad. God says, I'm looking for what? True worshipers. They that they do what? Worship me in what? Spirit and in truth. And, and, and God knew they were going to be in a situation where they were away from their homes, away from their families, uh, 70 years in captivity. Uh, under, by, by people who didn't know their God, didn't love their God, and forbade them to even worship their God. God gave them a pre, a pre-prescription. Before it was time for the prescription to be filled, God filled it by saying, I want you, when this happens, to cling to the hope that's in me. Isaiah begins to prophesy. And you can imagine it's a very difficult job because people, um, well, not people, me, us, People are reluctant to really cling to the word of God unless they are in crisis most times. God gets our full attention when something's going on. God can get our full attention when we're in the hospital. God can get our full attention when we have the loss of some loved one. God can get our full attention when we don't have enough money to buy spam and potted meat, right? But what about, what's, what's the quality of your worship when things are going well? Tank full of gas. Uh, my mom used to say, Frigidaire, full of food. <laughs> What's your level of worship then? Do you lay in the bed and worship? You know, just kind of lay there, half sleep, half awake. Do you really pray? Well, when you get to the place where your relationship with God is not dependent on circumstances, you're going to go to a different level. I'm not telling you something I've done. I'm telling you something I want to do. I'm not preaching this because I'm, I perfected it. No, 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 no. But I want to get to that place yeah. where, where, where me and God talk, I don't have a list of, of, of wants. Amen. God, I'm going to spend five minutes worshiping you, and then I need you to listen to me for the next 20 minutes because I got a list. <laughs> Anybody else pray like that sometimes? Y'all, okay. All right, y'all won't be honest. Uh, have, have you ever gone to pray to God and never asked for anything? Thank Just want to be in his presence. Just, just going to him because he's God. Because before you could even think about the thought you wanted to think about, he gave you the thought. 
uh, that, that's the kind of thing. And, and, and you remember, and, and Jesus had to do this with this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman who was bragging on him about where she went to church. And Jesus says, hey, lady, who living with somebody who's not your husband and you've been divorced five times, not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying don't lie to me. He said, I'm not concerned about the edifice where you go to church. I'm concerned about your true worship. He said, what God's looking for is those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Doesn't matter what you call the church. So Isaiah wants to get these people into a mindset uh, uh, that they will remember God when the crisis comes. So um, pressure is going to be applied to these people. Pressure where it's, in, where it's illegal to worship. Think about this now. There's a time during their captivity where it was illegal, illegal to worship God. Yet some of them did anyway, and they hearkened back to the words of Isaiah. All right? Let's walk through this a little bit. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse number 1. I, I have the King James Version of the Bible. And I will tell you, those of you who, who have other versions, uh, I think they're great. I, I use them as references. But I just like the prose and the poetry in the King James. It just sounds, it just to me, I guess... I, as an English major, I don't know, it just resonates with me. So, but if you got another, another version, it's fine. Isaiah 51, chapter 1. Now watch this. Um, oh, by the way, he's speaking to the remnant. That, and again, this is, this is pre-prophecy. They haven't been captured yet. He's, speak, he's speaking to those who will be captured and on the other side. Here's what he says. 51.1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, and how is Lord spelled there? All caps. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hold of the pit whence ye are digged. Now he's doing some metaphorical language, but let's see if we can un unpack this. First of all, um, Isaiah starts off by saying, hearken. In other words, I need you to pay attention. I need you to get focused on what I'm saying. Block out the distractions. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't try to figure out my next move, the move of God, but just listen and hearken unto me. I'm about to speak, God says, so I need you to listen. I don't need you to anticipate what I'm going to say. I need you to listen to what I'm going to say. Right? You, you all know what your mother used to say when she'd be talking. Be quiet, I'm talking. Yes, ma'am. Right? Because you're talking, she's not going to work. So here's what happened. So he says, um, uh, and I'm doing this, by the way, before you get, before you get in trouble, I'm going to tell you what to do. He says, I want you to listen. I want you to hearken. I want you to pay attention because I need you to have um, uh, a faith from, an, from, from two standpoints. First, I, I want, I'm, I'm talking to those people who follow after righteousness. Now you would think everybody would, right? You would think that's easy. You would think that when, when Bishop gets up on Sunday to preach, that everybody in the church is there for the same reason. No ma'am, no sir. There are those who follow after righteousness, they want to be right. Here's what Jesus said in New Testament. Jesus says, blessed are they that what? Hunger and thirst for what? After righteousness. What will happen to them? They will be filled. That hunger is a deep lack of sustenance. 
Thirst is being without water to the point that you're parched. That's kind of what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, I want you to come after righteousness, after the right standing with God, like you would if you were in the desert. And all you wanted was something to eat and drink. Hunger and thirst. He said, I, I want you to uh, uh, approach it uh, uh, with, with the same zeal that you do when you do your scratch-offs. <laughs> oh, y'all say. <laughs> Boy, if I hit this number, y'all will never, never see me again. Ooh, thank you, sir. I, I want you to have that same zeal that you have uh, when you, before you check at 12.01 on the night you get paid. Some of us stay up to make sure they put that money in there. I don't trust these people right about now. I don't know what's going on in the economy. He says, he says I want you to follow after righteousness. You see that? I, I want righteousness to be the vanguard of your life. I, I want you to, 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 to want to be right so badly that nothing else matters except your right standing with God. Not your sorority affiliation, not your fraternity affiliation, uh, 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 not, not, what you, not, not, not whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. I want you to want to be in the right standing with the Lord. He says, I, wanna, I want you to, I want, uh, all people I'm talking to, he says here, are those who follow after righteousness. If, if you're not following after righteousness, I'm not talking to you. He said, I want the whole kingdom, I want the whole of Israel to want to be in right standing with me. Now, here's what's, what's, what's critical about this. Here's where there's tension in the text. Uh, Elder Frazier's a theologian. She knows this. The tension in the text is that God is asking people to follow after righteousness when their circumstances are terrible. That's a tension in the text because it's easy, we've already said that in the preamble, to do that when all is going well. These folks have been snatched out of their homes, brought to a foreign land, where they don't speak the language, the people don't honor their God, the people don't honor them, God is saying, I want you. You're the ones I want to be hungry for me. Now, if you're honest, if you're honest, you want to say, well, God, I, I hear you. I'm not trying to argue with you, but you let this happen. Y'all got quiet. Oh, <laughs> you said you know everything. You said you're in control of everything. You said you know the end from the beginning. Then why am I in this circumstance? Remember, remember, the, remember now the debate in Job was about a righteous person having trouble. God here flips the script a little bit and he says, I'm looking for folks in trouble to hunger after righteousness. I'm looking for the people who it appears I've abandoned to desire my presence. This hard. Y'all sanctified. I, I know it doesn't happen to y'all, but it's hard when you're trying to seek after God when you're really, really sick. Or your companion is really, really sick. Or you've lost everything through business or money loss. Or some child is wayward. It's hard. But you got to do it anyway. What, what I want to admonish you to do is press through that and seek God the more. I, I miss the fact that we used to back in the old church, you'd have to have, you'd have terrorist service and you'd have to go to the altar and just stay there until your mind got just focused on God. I miss it. Because we've gotten so distracted by things and people. But God says, here's what I'm looking for. He says, I want y'all to listen to me. 
He said, I want you to the, 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 the follow after. I want you to have hunger and thirst. And then we said, well, God, what is the basis for this? He said, I'm going to give you an example. He said, I want you to look back unto the rock whence you were hewn. Um, God says, I want you to remember Abraham. Well, well, you'll see that in a minute. But what does that matter? This metaphor here is because what God is asking you to do, think about this, people of God. What were you like when God found you? Oh, I know. Okay. All y'all been. Yeah. So, so, so that was stuff you didn't do, but you could have and you would have if you could have figured out a way to get away with it. Oh, okay. Y'all ain't saying nothing. When God found Abraham, he was the least qualified person to be the father of the faith. He is in the Earl Chaldees. He's a moon worshiper. He has no affiliation with God. He ain't thinking about God. God is not a part of his life. He's rich. He's doing well. And God speaks to him and tells him, I want you to put down everything you're doing and go somewhere you don't know where you're going to fall after God you don't know. And Abraham does it. Think about what you were like when you gave your life over to Christ. And think about what you were like when your friends called you and said, what do you mean you're not going to the club tonight? The person you've been looking for, been, you've been wanting to holler at, will be there. we got this thing set up. What do you mean you're not drinking anymore? We got the hen. We got everything you want. What do you mean you're not going to hang out all night Saturday and then stumble in the church Sunday morning? What were you like back then? What was it about you that attracted you to God? Nothing. But he loved you because you were attracted to him because there was nothing attractive about you. That's what God likes about you. He wanted you when nobody else did. And still wants you when some folks don't. That's the God you serve. He says to them, I want you to remember that the way I got to you people of Israel, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I didn't call the Hebrew nation out because they were some mighty army. It was a man in the Earl Chaldees who had nothing to offer me except his praise and worship. That's the fellow I used as the father of the faithful. And just so you know, he was marred just like you. Now, uh, he says uh, his, his, his worship was false. He was surrounded by, by idol God, most likely where Abraham grew up, had a lot of Egyptian influence. And we know Egyptian, Egypt, Egyptians, these Africans, had at least 10 gods. We know that they were into children's sacrifice. We know they were into all kind of manner of evil and cruelty. And that's what Abraham was into. That's what God called him out of. Now watch this. Watch this. Verse 2. Let, let me prove my, let me press my case. Look, in case you're wondering who the rock is, at this point, the rock is not Jesus. Look at verse 2. Look or consider Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, now, now look at this. There's this command that we first heard to hear in verse 1. Now God said, I want you to look. There's some tangible evidence I want you to see. And he's repeating this for emphasis. Look unto your father Abraham. Now isn't it interesting that he doesn't say your father God. He says your father Abraham because you all are, are into your ethnicity. He said, I want you to consider your father, the, 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 the progenitor of the faith, Abraham. 
He says, and Sarah, who, for I called him and blessed him and increased him. What do you know about Sarah, Abraham and Sarah? They disappointed God early in their ministry, right? God gave them one promise. I'm going to bless the whole nation of Israel through you, through you and Sarah. And Sarah said, hey, Abraham, let me tell you something. This ain't happening, bro. What you need to do, go talk to that young girl. I'm not, no, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm just being honest. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Abraham. I understand, but no, sir. But, all right? That's the kind of people God loves. Y'all, quit letting the devil guilt trip you into thinking you got to be perfect to be saved. That you got to be perfect to serve God. He likes the kind of people he can fix. He likes to operate on people. The church is a hospital. Sick people come in and get well. Not well people come in and get sick. People who are sick come in. You have this standard that folks have to be saved before they're saved. You know something? You can't clean the fish until you catch the fish. He said, think about this, Israel. I didn't abandon Abraham and Sarah. I'm not going to abandon you. I could have. I gave them another chance. And you know, once that anointing got on Abraham, he kind of lost his mind. I mean, he had all these children and then got remarried. 100 plus. <laughs> God says, there are going to be some natural influences that's going to come into your life that'll make you think I've forgotten about you because we measure blessing by time. God doesn't. We said, Lord, it's been a long time since you made the promise. That's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. They got tired of waiting. And so they thought they would help God. May I tell you this? This is free. God doesn't need your help. He's God. Old folks say, all by himself. He don't need nobody else. He said, he said to them, think about this couple that I blessed and made them the father and mother of men. He said, I don't even consider Sarah. And it's interesting to me that he put this, and Sarah, because he said, I don't want you all just to blame Brother Abraham just like I want you to blame Adam and not Eve. I want you to understand they both messed up, but I loved them anyway. Sarah encouraged Abraham to sin. God blessed her to be the mother of the nation. Y'all, folk, have you tricked thinking you got to be perfect, walk perfect, live perfect, never have a bad thought to be close to God? It's a lie. I'm not saying you have license. Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But I'm, what I'm telling you all is that you are not unfixable. Those of you who are listening to us virtually, I want you to understand, no matter what you've done, even if you did it on purpose, you meant to sin. You meant to be contrary. You meant to go against God. He loves you anyway. That's God. It's not a standard we would impose. Because, you know, you offend us, we through with you. you. I ain't texting you. I ain't Instagramming you. I want you, I'm going to turn you down on Facebook. Don't call me. Right? That's not how God is. Thank God for that. Because it's up to us 
uh, people would be lost. So God says, think about Abraham and Sarah. And here's the thing you have to understand sometimes that God adds by subtracting. You can go through loss and disappointment and God still restores because he's God. I want you to understand something. You can write this down. Any candle God lights can't go out. Any candle God lights can't go out. If God says, I'm going to heal you, if God intends to heal you, he will heal you. If God's to say, I'm going to protect and restore, you can take it to the bank. It's taking too long. Doesn't matter how long it takes, he's still God. He's outside of time. Verse 3. I'm, try, I'm trying to hold my mute here, but I can't. Verse 3 says, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. You ought to underline that in your Bible or get a Bible you can write in. Uh, God is the great consolator. He first says, I'm going to comfort you. So when you're going through trouble, trials and, tri and tribulations, God first comes to comfort you. He gives you the hug you need. While you're crying and blowing snot bubbles, he said, okay, okay, all right, come here. Okay, come here. Okay, okay, come, come here, hush. Right? Y'all yeah, yeah, picked up a baby and they cry and you pat them on the back? I don't know what that does. But I think it's something musical in your spirit. But something about that, that constant tap, 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 tap. That come, and they, I mean, they're crying bloody murder. God wants you to see that picture. He's not saying you shouldn't cry. He's just saying, I'll comfort you. Look what he said. He said, he said I, I'm first going to call Now, Zion, you, you see that word Zion. Zion refers to the place, Jerusalem, which is the seat of David. It refers to the mountain where Jerusalem is, and it refers to the church or the people. I'm going to comfort Zion, and I'm going to comfort all her waste places. Listen, God says, whatever you've lost, I'm going to restore. This is both spiritual and physical. He's saying, I'm going to give back to you. And what I give you back will be better than what you've lost. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Uh, you say that, preacher, but uh, you had lost what I've lost. I understand. None of us have had the same life experience. I'm just telling you the promise of God. The reason we don't see restoration is because we give up on restoration and look for replacement. You understand me? We get tired of waiting on God to restore and say, God, just replace. If I can't have tall, dark, and handsome, I'll take short, ugly, and whatever. God said, I'm going to restore. Not, I don't offer you second best. I'm not that kind of God. Hang in here with me a little while longer. <laughs> but we, <laughs> y'all wrong for that. But we give up. <laughs> Daily fellowship with God allows him to remind you 
of his restorative properties. Daily fellowship, not when times are bad, not when money is short, not when job is crazy. Daily fellowship with God allows him to remind you of his restorative properties. He's full of grace. Don't treat God like a habit. Sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. God wants fellowship. Watch what he says here. He says, I'm going to make your wilderness what you lost like Eden. What was the one thing that was great about Eden? Daily fellowship. They didn't want anything, right? They were perfect beings. Adam had a job. Eve was a housewife, right? She didn't even have any children first. But they had daily fellowship. Well, the first thing they did when they messed up is they broke fellowship, right? They hid themselves from the God that sees everything. Don't that sound stupid? He's everywhere at the same time. They, it's just hilarious that they hid themselves. You can't hide from God. He's everywhere at the same time. He didn't have to call them from where they were. He can see them. Hey, Adam, where are you? Adam's like, you can't see me. My eyes are closed. Yes, I can, fool. I see you and your wife. Come here, boy. I want to talk to you. Now, notice they broke fellowship with him. He didn't break fellowship with them. He shows up while they're in their sin. He still shows up with a remedy after confession. And, by the way, it was confession without repentance. They never said they were sorry they did it. Go back and check the record. They didn't say they were sorry. Adam said, now God, you did this arranged marriage. I don't know this girl. You told me to marry her. I say, man, I, you know, I married her. <laughs> That's on you, Lord. And then Eve said, I ain't make Satan. He showed up and I, you know, he beguiled me. You know, I, you know I, I don't know how to talk that well. God says, let me tell you something. You two brain damaged people. I still love you. You're the apple of my eye. Don't you love that kind of God? Because that been me or that been you, woo, they would have been out of there. I, get, I make two more. Y'all gone. He says, I'm going to restore. Your willingness is going to be like eating. You're, you're going to reap the harvest despite the fact that everything you did meant you ought to be put out immediately. Notice God doesn't put them out of the garden until he makes a provision for them to be safe. You can't come back in here, but I'm not going to let you fall into the hands of the enemy. I'm going to provide. And God says, I love you so much, I'm going to put a, a cherubim in front of the garden so you can't come back. I'm not even going to let you be tempted. Because the fact, the, despite the fact that I restored you and you've regained my, my, my presence and my confidence, I can't trust you. But I'm not going to let you fall. I'm going to protect you from yourself. He does that in the garden. With you, he gives you the Holy Spirit. So that when you would do wrong, Holy Spirit said, pop, 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 pop. Not saying you won't do wrong, but you do have a, a sword, a reminder. Now watch this. He says, and when you get back, Joy and gladness will be found, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. He says, you're going to come back, despite what you've been through, and sing. Why do you think, back in the old church, you loved 
when the old saints would sing. Out of tune. Uh, didn't really know all the words. But you know mother know what she's talking about. Mother turned the church out with two words. On B flat or, or, or B unflat. But when mother sang about what she'd been through, you knew mother knew what mother was talking about. God said, you're going to have a melody. You're going to have a song that the angels desire to sing. And God says, Isaiah says, what's going to happen is you're going to do it with gladness and thanksgiving. I think it was, um, help me out here. Kurt Carr and, and Bishop Paul S. Martin who had this song and there was a line that says, I've seen you in the future and you look better than you look right now. Tell your neighbor that. Yeah, I've seen you in the future and you look better than you look right now. From glory to glory. And you look much better than you look right now. God says, I've seen y'all in the future and you look better. You have gladness and thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And you have to remind yourself of this when you're going through difficult times because death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have to keep saying to yourself, God is still on the throne. He's going to restore me despite what I've lost and give me back everything. You got to quick say to yourself. You cannot let yourself have, listen, don't use the term I'm having a bad day. You can have bad moments. Can't have a bad day. Why? This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to do what? Rejoice. What the scripture said. And be glad in it. Because I know if I'm having a bad moment before the day is over, he can fix it. If I have a bad hour, he got 23 to fix it. If I do end up having an extended some bad moments, he'll fix it tomorrow or he'll fix it tonight. I refuse to give in to bad days or bad days thought. This is not this is not positive thinking theology. This is what God says. God said, "Come to me, all you that are labor and heavy laden. I give you rest. Stop fighting and rest in His arm. Whatever you're doing, God, I'm willing to go with you." Last last few, and we we gotta gotta finish. I want you to understand in this next section that the Lord's salvation will last forever. Look at verse four. Hearken, there's that word again, listen unto me, all my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest, <laughs> make my for a lot of the people. Now watch this. Um, that, 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 you see when it says, hearken unto me and give ear, that's just that. Hebrew uh, parallelism, and we do it all. We do it all the time. We'll say, "I could have been dead, sleeping in my grave." Same thing. Uh, There's none so blind, Pastor Stephen Wonder, as he who will not see. Same thing. So he they, he says, "Hearken and listen. Listen, hearken. he's trying to get your attention." He says, "Now listen." He says, um, uh, "I want you to understand that you are my people." Watch this now. Sinful. Backsliding, backstabbing, won't pray, won't come to church, won't tune into the virtual church, sleep, only come to God when you need something. He said, you're my people. You're my people. I, nobody else don't want y'all. I do. I'm crazy about y'all. I love you like you are because I know you don't want to stay like you are. 
We're going to work on this thing together, me and you. God says, watch this. God says, it's this to me. He said, uh, um, uh, I, I, I want you to know that, 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 that this, this law is going to proceed from me. I'm going, to, I'm going to deliver you from the Moses trap of having to go through rules and regulations. I'm going to write the word in your heart. I'm not going to have you have to write down rules and worry about whether you missed it or not. I'm going to write the word in your heart. And then God keeps saying, hearken unto me. I mean, my mother used to say, David, boy, are you deaf? She say deaf. I know you heard me. And I did. But, you know, sometimes you hear and not like you don't hear. Y'all know that, 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 uh, that Greek word we use, huh? Yeah. Uh, that's a good way to get slapped. But God says, I know you hear me. I'm going to keep calling you until you respond. You can't hear him, can't you? Y'all didn't say nothing. You can't hear him, right? Okay. God says, hearken unto me, give ear, listen. God says, I'm going to set, he calls them my nation. He sanctified you and set you apart. That's not church membership. Sanctification is a lifestyle. I've sanctified you, set you apart. I wanted you when nobody else did. And then he says, he goes almost like when he says in the New Testament, verily, verily, he's trying to get their attention again. Uh, my, my first Sunday school uh, teacher, my first Bible teacher that I love to this day, Mr. Eli Bones, used to say, I want you to pay strict attention. I want you to be focused on what I'm saying. God said, blot out the noise, turn CNN off, turn MSNBC off, turn Fox News off, turn ESPN off, and get focused on me just for a minute. So you hear what I'm saying. Pay strict attention. Verse 5. My righteousness is near. Oh, my God. My salvation is going forth. And mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me. And on mine arm shall their trust. God is saying that, that his righteousness and his salvation will shortly appear. Uh, they used to sing an old song back in the old church. I know it won't be this way always. I pray for a brighter, brighter day. I know it won't be this way. Always. He said, it's near. It's closer than you think. Anytime you need me, I'm just a prayer away. His grace follows us to the point that he expresses this by saying, um, my salvation has gone forth and mine arms shall hold the people. In judging us, he's going to judge us with grace. Everything God does when he measures you up is measured by grace. Filtered through, the, through, through Jesus Christ. You don't stand before the bar of justice to be accused of the crime. Jesus stands in your place. He's the substitute. That's the point he's trying to make to you with Abraham, is that there's substitutional death here. Now watch, and we're, we're done. Last, last couple. I'm going to read 6 through 8, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, I'm saying that for emphasis, to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall, shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revelings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. I never understood why my grandmama's closet smelled like mothballs. 
But it smelled like bomb ball because she knew moths would get in and eat up the clothes. People of God, these people on the internet and on Twitter and on Facebook who are talking about you, God talks about their revelings and they're running you down and they're saying, oh man, God said, man, that, 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 that's going to turn so quick it's not even funny. You got the mothball of the word. You are encapsulated by the word. They can't touch you, MC Hammer, Pastor MC Hammer said. You can't touch this. And Pastor Jane Brown said, they're just talking loud, but they ain't saying nothing. In this world we live in where social media has taken over, you've got to be at a place where you can block out the noise. I can't hear you, Sergeant Carter and Goma Powell. Block out the noise and look to him. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they tweet. It doesn't matter what they text. It doesn't matter what they put on Facebook. If you don't like what they put on Facebook, quit going on Facebook. You don't like what they text, block their number. You don't like what they tweet, turn off Twitter. Why? Because God says, your salvation is not in people. Your salvation is in me. And you can trust me on this, God says, I am going to restore. I'm going to protect. I am going to bless. Any candle I light, nobody can blow out. Y'all be blessed. See you next week.